Hello and welcome to the Long Ball Premier League Preview Show. I'm John Townsend. I'm Daphne DeBarb. I'm Brandon McCaffrey. Asian Raptors cover has been blown. Ragnick at the helm this weekend and who needs a wrestling year football to talk about? All of that and a whole lot more, so let's start the show. So, starting off, gentlemen, we have the Merseyside Derby to talk about and it was a hell of a game if you support Liverpool and if you support, support Everton. Good luck getting through that one because Everton's unbeaten streak against Liverpool in the league has come to an end at four games and it, they weren't showing much in the game. From watching from my perspective, it seemed like every every step forward Everton took, they took two steps backwards. Every single positive attack they put together, all of a sudden it was Mo Salah getting past, getting past Coleman on the break on the other end. It just wasn't quite working. Rafa didn't line up in an overly defensive lineup to limit those Salah breaks. And they weren't getting much from the from the attack at all. But that's kind of been the the mold of story since uh, since DCL went out with that injury, that the attack just isn't clicking and they're not playing defensive enough to plug uh, plug the gaps in behind. But what was what was your guys' opinion of the of the match so far? Start we'll start off with Declan. I think that everything you say is right. Um, that, you know, I think that, and we talked about this last time, that Rafa has really been limited in the players that he can use just because of the injuries and then the, and then the spending. But it doesn't help when you're playing against the Liverpool squad and you don't set up correctly. I think that he got his tactics all wrong and it, it showed in the 4-1 scoreline. Um, they weren't good enough. I think that that's the truth. And then there was a number of individual errors you saw on the goal that Seamus Coleman um, gave up that was horrible. It wasn't really his fault. And then he got the talking to from Tamari Gray, who sold him short on that pass. So it was just, it seemed like there was a lot of individual errors. And that's, that, that is what Liverpool will do to you. But it wasn't great. And um, yeah, as you say, Agent Rafa, ugh, it, uh, it, was, it was rough. And, you know, I hope it's not his last days. We've seen him do stuff like this before, but it doesn't, it doesn't look like it's going well. No, it doesn't. And uh, I was actually going to bring up yeah, the individual errors as well. Like uh, when you make those errors, especially against a team who can capitalize on them like Liverpool can with Mo Salah, who is best player in the Premier League right now. He is on smoke. Two goals in this game. Gee, he is he is on fire right now. And Four one at Goodison Park. You would have let. You would have thought at least maybe it's a derby. Might be a bit of a lower score, but that was a thrashing. And Rafa's definitely in the hot seat. No, I, I definitely think so. I, I would think so. I would think so. And I yeah, think it really shows the golf. In, and I think it really shows the golf in quality between you know the top three teams that are just running away with it and everyone else. That's a good point. Yeah, it's they're they're miles ahead. Miles ahead. Yeah, and it's it's a shame because Rafa's had a history of putting together a solid defense and kind of getting points with the defense first and foremost, and then maybe nicking a few points off of a top top clubs later on. And he just hasn't had that. I have no idea why, because going up but going past Rafa performances, you would imagine once DCL goes out and the Richarlison experiment at Striker isn't quite working out to shut down shop. Park the, bar, park the bus until DCL gets back. And just some baffling moves throughout the game where uh, as soon as they go 3-1 down, Rafa's decision to bring on Fabian Delph into the lineup in place of Andros Townsend was 
baffling to me because Dolph, yeah, actually is a quality player, but you need attacking options at that point. And with Alex Iwobi on the bench, who he's not going to be lighting the league on fire, but he's better. He's more of a creative, dynamic attacker than Andros Townsend, at least. So his decision to leave him on the bench and bring on Fabian Delph and then Liverpool score the fourth goal less than five minutes later, it was just a poor coaching display from Rafa. And I think the fans are out on him too because they started piling out of the stadium once they went 2-0 down. It's do you just, really blame them? Do you, do you really blame them? It's, it's tough because I know me and you both liked Rafa throughout, uh, throughout the season so far. Or well, it's not so much throughout the season, but him as a manager, we both like him. And he has been given a, given a tough hand with the injuries. But looking at it from Everton's fans' perspective, how Rafa Benitez, former Liverpool manager, Coming in, he was always on the he was always on the back foot. He needed to have immediate results to earn the, to earn the fans' trust. And other than the first game of the season, he hasn't done that at all. And but couldn't yes, you argue that you know he's been he 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 has been dealt a bad hand? I think that he had more to yeah. spend at at Newcastle, and that's really saying something. You look at he who has he brought been, in. He has been dealt a bad. He has been dealt a bad hand, but if you look at the league table with clubs like Brighton well and well and above them, with mm-hmm. West Ham up in fourth, West Ham a club that is typically Everton's level, to have all these teams surpassing them, to have Brentford above them, to have Palace above them. From a fan's perspective, Fourteen. looking at that and looking at the quality that is on Everton, even though the pieces aren't fitting together right now, they do have a ton of quality players. So to have that kind of in the back of your mind that why are all these other clubs getting better and we're just getting worse. I understand the fan frustration. I hope they stick with him until DCLs get back. Give him a full season. Give him, give him time to figure out the attack once he gets back into the lineup. And if it doesn't work out for the rest of the season, by all means, sack him at the end. That it, It's just not working out. And something else to consider with Rafa is the fixture list coming up because this weekend, they are, they're going to be playing Arsenal on Monday, but then they have a bit of a break until the next game, until they face Palace the following Sunday. But after that, it is back to back to midweek matches. They don't have another break until I believe they play on the 19th, and then they uh, play the next game on Boxing Day. But after that, it's another midweek match. So if they are going to sack Rafa, if he has a poor performance against Arsenal this weekend, I'm thinking that he'll go this weekend. If not that... He could be through till January. But moving on to Liverpool, they look dominant as ever with Mane, Salah, Jota repeatedly getting in behind Everton's defence and part of that leading to Liverpool's uh, 3.6 expected goals in that match. But with a front three firing like they're firing right now, it kind of had me wondering, is this the best Liverpool attack we've seen under the Jurgen Klopp era? Because right now, they already have 43 goals in 14 games. And although their overall team was better in the, cha- the title-winning season, I think that's primarily to do with, the, 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 with their rock-solid defense in that, in that year. Whereas this season, you kind of replace the creativeness of, of uh, Roberto Firmino with Diego Jota's goal-scoring ability. So what do you guys think? Is this the best Liverpool attack Jurgen Klopp's had since going to Anfield? Um, yeah, I um, I definitely think so because, like you said, Jota is just so much—not so much, but he's just much more clinical in the final third. 
with than Bobby Firmino. And Bobby Firmino is that more like creative as player, um, center forward. But um, yeah, this this Liverpool attack is just firing on all cylinders. When you have, like I say again, Mohamed Salah playing the way he is, and then you have Jota who's playing the way he is, and then you have Sadio Mane along with that. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna steamroll any team, and and it shows. And Klopp is really getting the most out of those guys right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think um, Jota has come in and he's fit like a glove. You know, they paid fifty million. They paid mm-hmm. just under fifty million for him um, when they bought him from Wolves, and you know that's money well spent. That's that's something you blink at and and not even worry if you're FSG. Um, you know, I think that ultimately at the end of the day, you get more from a player like Diego Diego Jota who. I think might be one of the best Portuguese players in the league. And I don't think that that's really controversial. Um, he, he's been doing uh, a bit. Silva? Bernardo Silva, Silva might be the best player in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, that I think is a conversation for, for, for a little bit later. That guy, that guy is, is incredible. Um, but you know, Jota has just been doing the bids. He hasn't missed a step since coming to Liverpool. He's fit right in. And he didn't even come in and start right away, but he didn't sulk and he's improved his game working under Jurgen Klopp. And I think what those front three are doing is making up for, you know, the lack of really a creative option in that midfield. You don't have a continue in that midfield that you did in the 2019, in the 2019 season. You don't have uh, a player like Bobby Firmino, who is dropping deep, and I don't know how much longer Bobby Firmino is going to be um, out injured for. But you imagine after he come back, he comes back, he'll be staple gun to that bench with the way that that Jota's playing. Um, I think that there will be some real questions asked in January when you have Salah and Mane and Keita go off to the African Cup of Nations. But right now, this team is clicking, and uh, I don't see it stopping. Well, moving on to a match that I'm sure Brennan's probably not wanting to talk about that much, but I am. Manchester United beat Arsenal 3-2 in an up-and-down affair. It's it's only befitting of the two clubs that were playing how much of a shit show that match was. And yeah. Michael Carrick's last game in charge, he remains undefeated. And United, for portions of the match, kind of seemed in control to an extent. Whenever they would lose position, they'd get it back relatively fast. And this is something I haven't seen much from this United squad, where it seemed a lot more well-oiled. There was still a ton of gaps in the in terms of pressing and this overall kind of identity, with Ronaldo still not really coming that much further back. He kind of just stays in the space between midfield and attack. And whenever the ball's in that space, he'll press. When it's not, he'll just kind of stand there and move around waiting for the counter-attack uh, counter to start, which is a little troubling. And I'm sure Ragnick's going to have uh, words with him about that. But United looked pretty solid th- throughout the match. And I'm just wondering from, from Declan, what did you think of uh, United's performance? I thought, I thought that it was more convincing, um, more convincing than it has been in the past. Um, they did look better than they did against Chelsea, but there were still, still a lot of questions, and I'm sure we'll get on to Fred, who was horrific. He was horrific. But uh, I thought it was a really good game from Bruno. Um, the back line looked a little bit more, more convincing. 
So I think I think that they got the job done and that's what they needed to do against Arsenal, though it wasn't always the most convincing. <laughs> and actually, just to get on the Fred for a second, he had one of the most Fred games I've seen of him this year or maybe <laughs> any years, where first 15 minutes, he bobbles a couple passes, easy passes to him where he either, it just goes a couple feet wide and he doesn't move forward or just it, he ball control bobbles it. Leads to a counter counter attack both times, and then he steps on the hair's ankle. The hair goes down with an uh, with an injury for a moment. I'm pretty sure he was thinking that an Arsenal player did it, and he's trying to just award a free yeah. kick to himself. Yeah. Um, but when he goes down, ref doesn't notice. Emil Smith though fires it fires into the bottom corner. My attitude towards it is, yeah, it's probably a goal. If the shoe was on the other foot, if Ramsdale went down after after Gabriel stepped on his uh, ankle, I'd be begging for a goal as well because the ref didn't blow the whistle. Perfectly fine with that. But Fred went from that appalling 20 minutes to playing a nice, silky, smooth backhill pass to Bruno Fernandes for the equalizer. It's, it's amazing watching Fred because either it's the most entertaining player you've ever seen or just the biggest catastrophe of a player you've ever seen. He's never, he never stops running around the pitch. He goes all over, he goes a mile a minute. And he has these incredible brain farts of, you know, bobbles an easy pass, pass to him and leads to a counterattack. But then also on the other end, he's able to do that, that nice backyard pass to Bruno. And admittedly, the backyard pass, it wasn't the most technically sound one I've ever seen in my life. It kind of looked a little shaky, but it got, it got the job done. The defense wasn't expecting it to happen. But after seeing that match, Ragnick must be equally terrified and intrigued by the energetic midfield maestro. So, Brennan, which do you think he's he's more? Do you think he's more intrigued or terrified of Fred? Um, probably more terrified because I, I remember uh, yesterday, like, scrolling through, like, transfer rumors and stuff. And Ragnar uh, is already trying to recruit that uh, Leipzig midfielder that he had at his club. I can't remember his name. African African midfielder. I, I can't remember his name, but he's already trying to recruit midfielders to like play Hardy? his sort of system. Or Hrati at Leipzig? It, it, it could be him. It could be him. I... I I should have remembered his name. It was a tough name, but um, he's already trying to recruit midfielders this January to try and play his sort of system. I, I think that uh, he doesn't really gel in – Fred doesn't really gel in his system. And um, But, yeah, I thought Fred – you were right, had a very Fred performance. Uh, he had a, a couple backheel clearances that I saw too, like not not just passes. Like he had like a like a scorpion like like clearance out of the box. He, he had a couple of savvy plays like that. But um, and then he but then he goes and knocks De Gea on the foot, and De Gea went for the tried tried to get the foul. And my I, I was watching the game with my best friend who's a United fan, and he was like, "No way, that's a goal! No way!" I'm like, "Dude." Like, come on, like, that's a blatant goal. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know, Brandon. I, I disagree with you. I'm really intrigued to see what, what Fred will do under a manager like uh, Ralph Ragnick. Um, Ragnick takes a lot of uh, a lot of his steps from Lobanovsky at, from the ancient Dynamo Kiev, the father of, of Russian football, um, basically. And 
the way that he drills his players, and you hope that he has enough time with with them, especially given how crazy the back half of the season gets, and obviously he's an interim manager, but I think that Fred needs structure. That's 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 something that he needs, and no system he's played under has had that structure at United. So it, he's drilled, and you know, I get the ball here, I make the I make the pass to to Scott McSauce. I get the ball here, I spray it long to an on-rushing Tellez. Given his work rate, which, as you mentioned, John, is out of this world, I really think that we might see the best out of Fred under Ragnick. I, I, I think that he's one of those players that will improve, and Scott McSauce is the one who, who makes way, and you find a much better defensive midfielder option because I think that Fred offers something that Scott McTominay can't in that he's much more of a box-to-box present, presence, though his, tech, his technicals are what really needs, to, needs some work. Yeah, as you said, with with Fred, it's just about the structure, finding the the right structure for him to play in. And I think in a midfield, he can't be the most offensively responsible player in it. Except the issue is with United, they don't have many defensively responsible midfielders other than Matic. But I don't trust Matic in a Gergen Press system where he's expected to run all over the pitch because that is not Matic at this stage in his career. So knowing that, I'm curious to see how he implements him because would he just tell Scott McTominay look you can't get forward you you are the you are the person who needs a sacrifice you need to just be staying back playing defense playing playing in a CDM spot for the entire match and then kind of functioning with a box of box with uh with Fed and then uh, Bruno alongside him in like a kind of advanced playmaker role I don't even know how that would work necessarily but I back Ragnick to be the guy who figures out how to use Fed because on paper, you take out the, the, the 10% that annoys you, the 90% of what Fed is seems to be perfect for a high-paced, fast Ragnarok system. So I'm interested to see how we, how we implement him uh, moving forward. But moving on to Arsenal, though, I was really tough. it's really tough to come up with talking points for Arsenal because going into that match... On a bit, still on a bit of high. You lost against Liverpool, but as we spoke about a couple weeks ago, that's expected. You, it's not a, it's not a shocker that you lose against Liverpool. But you, you then pick up a, uh, pick up a win the, the previous week. How, how are you feeling coming out of that match against United? One, one where you lost, but you didn't get blown out. It wasn't a catastrophe performance. How, what, are, what's the emotions going through an Arsenal fans' perspective, Brendan? Um, it's definitely, um, really, you're always gutted to not get a point, but, and, and I would say that United in the current way they are, this would have been a good as time as any to get points out of them. Uh, they have a Michael Carrick at manager, just sack Ole. Like, this is a good opportunity to get some points. And we start out 1-0. But I just wanted to say, like, on the United side, you guys were implementing a, that press. That was – you guys had that press working a couple times because we just kicked the ball up, ran upfield, got the defensive line up. Like, you guys were pressing the hell out of us, and it was working. But then there were also points in time where Ramsdale would start with the ball, and we would actually – have some amazing press breaking 
passes and we, we would break the press, get up field, but then nothing would really come out of it, you know? And I think that the problem was a bummy in. I got to be critical on a bummy in. He's our captain. We, he, we decided to that huge deal and he needs to start being more consistent or at least present. I, I'm not going to lie. He was absent for a, a majority parts of that game. And we bring in like Eddie and Ketia and like Lacazette too late in my opinion, but like Eddie and Ketia who just rejected a contract and it doesn't want to be at Arsenal in the future. Like I don't, I don't see why we were playing him instead of like Pepe, but it's, it's a gutting, gutting performance. And I wish we could have gotten a point out of that because there was things like the Tomiyasu foul that we talked about earlier, but we can't, you got you couldn't see it at the time, but there was a hit or miss penalty call that didn't even go to VAR or anything, and I thought that that could have been a different game if we would have gotten a penalty in that situation. Getting getting the lead back, heading into halftime, two to one, it could be game changing. But well, Arsenal's next four matches are against Everton, Southampton, West Ham, and Leeds. You'd imagine uh, Arsenal kind of get back to their form as of late and get back to kind of winning ways, picking up points against uh, those four positions. Maybe not West Ham, as I'm sure Declan's getting a little antsy talking about that. Um, I can but, just uh, jump in here, actually, yep. John. I think that that West Ham game will be seasoned to fighting for both of those squads. I think that, you know, the fight for the top four is really between our three teams. It's between how United will respond to Reg. Agreed. I think... It's how Arsenal will keep trucking and if David Moyes can can figure out a way to get his team scoring again. That's something we'll talk about a little bit later. But I don't really see any other challengers. Spurs just don't seem to have it for me. And the top three are the top three. So I think that between these three, it'll be really it'll really be a decision of who falls where. I think all three teams will finish four, five, six. It'll just be a question of how it shakes out and these matches against Arsenal and United and Arsenal and West Ham and West Ham and, and United will be the ones that decide who, who falls in there. And I think that that will be the storyline we follow this season. These next four games for Arsenal are season defining the West Ham game more so than all of them. Yeah. I was going to say we need 10 points minimum out of those four games, three wins and a draw. And I'm assuming like, is the game is the West Ham game home or away for us? If you know, uh, the, West Ham also... game, the West Ham game is at Arsenal. Okay. I, I'd i still take 10 points out of those four games. If you're telling me 10 points, I'd be like, I'm content with that. That seems fair enough. We'll uh, look forward to seeing, because there's a ton of good matches coming up in December. But I think that's going to be taking us to halftime. And the game we're going to be playing this week is Fergie time. And I'll hand it over to Declan as he's going to be hosting this, uh, this game. Yeah, Fergie time. We haven't played it in too long. It's gotten a new adult adapted name before it was chess clock and it's very basic we're I'm going to i have three lists of players the best two out of three um and the john and brandon go back and forth and try and figure out who can name all of the players on the list or the first one to run out of time both of them have one minute to do so it flips back and forth the first one is name all the premier league golden boot winners okay we're going this to is going back to the start of Premier League, right? Start of the Premier League, since the Premier League. Not all the way back to like 1884 or whatever, <laughs> whenever whenever the English League 
started. No, just since the start of the Premier League. John, we're going to be starting with you. Okay. So just let me know when you're ready and we can get going. All right, I'm ready. Go. Mo Salah. Yeah. Aubameyang. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Alan Shearer. Mm-hmm. Wayne Rooney. No. Oh, um, Michael Owen. Yep. Wood van Nistelrooy. Did he get it? Yep. Didier Drogba. Yep. Drogba got it. I'm surprised at that one. Um, Once. Fernando Torres. No. Luis Suarez. Yeah. Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. Um, Thierry Henry. Thierry Henry. Teddy Sheringham. Yeah, the first one. <sighs> Threw me with that one. Um, oh god. Thirty seconds. Brandon has forty-five seconds left. Oh, I'm blanking. John's into his last fifteen. Oh god! Oh god! Oh god! Last 10. Um, John needs Lukaku? to pull something out of the bag. Lukaku? Huh? Lukaku? No. Five no. seconds. Oh, got him out. Two, one, zero. Brandon wins say, the first round Alan of chess Shearer? Did you say Alan Shearer? Yeah, I said Shearer. He did oh, say Shearer. I was going to say Ian Wright. Is he on that list? Oh. No, but you guys are missing so many recent ones. Yeah. Vardy, Mane, Kane. I was going to say Kane. I, I had Kane as like I forgot my last Kane. Resort. Yeah, no, I was holding on Kane. Robin Van Persie, Berbatov, Tevez, mm-hmm. Anelka, Jimmy Floyd Hasselback, Dwight York, Chris Sutton, uh, oh, Dwight Dion York. Dublin, I, I was and, say and Dwight lastly, York. Andy Cole. Okay. Still got that, the dub. I'm not mad. So yeah. Brandon takes the early lead. This one is a little bit more difficult. This one is a little bit more difficult as I reset the chess clock. Can you guys name all of the players from the 2015-16 West Ham squad? I thought I'd go neutral on this one. There's some big <laughs> names in there. I think you guys can get at least six. <laughs> <laughs> We'll start with Brandon this time. Brandon, are you ready to go? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, Quick preface, this is the last season at, at the Bowling Ground. This is the last season at the Bowling Ground, the season where Leicester City won the Premier League. Mikel Antonio? I haven't started yet. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go. Mikel Antonio? Yes, sir. Uh, Mark Noble? Mark Noble for sure. Ogbonna? Yes, sir. His first season. Uh, Dimitri Payet? Dimitri Payet, his first season. That incredible. Adrian? Adrian. He was the goalie. Adrian. Uh, Ever? No, that was was the next season. Uh, Andy Carroll? Andy Carroll. Yes, sir. Fabianski? No. Um, No, Cresswell. Oh, jeez. No Pablo Fernandes. Mm. Brandon's at 30 seconds. John's sitting on 45. Mm. Gosh. 
I'm blanking now. 20 seconds. That's fine. Take your time. <laughs> As I said, this one was tough. I wanted to go neutral. I wanted to go neutral. 10 seconds, Brandon. Just throw some names out. This is appalling. Marlenka wasn't on two, the team. One, and you're done. Oh, my God. You're going to say players. Was huh? Zabaleta on the team? No, that was, that was the next season. Cresswell was on that team. Oh. <laughs> oh. The rest of the squad, Zarate, Diafrasaco, Enter Valencia, Manuel Lanzini, who still plays on the team. Victor I have Lanzini on here. Obiang, oh. Cuyate, son who went to Barcelona after. Bo, not Bowen Byram, that's a hockey player. Sam Byram, Jen Kingston, Aaron, the aforementioned Aaron Cresswell, Reese Oxford, James Collins, James Tompkins, Winston Reed, who scored that goal that I will never forget in my entire life. Oh, Darren Randolph. That was shocking. So I also didn't write them down. I, I, I should have known. I don't have a pen or paper here. I only thought about that, about that like, but five seconds before we started that last round, and I thought, oh, actually, it's probably grab a piece of paper and start writing them down. So kind of we are tied that. at one going into the deciding round. A much more recent example. Can you guys name the full 22 starters of the 2020 Euro final? Oh, God. It's my wheelhouse. John gets to start this time. As I mentioned, Winner here takes it all. John lost the first round of chess clock. He's looking to redeem himself. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Go. Pickford. Yes. Yolini. Yes. Shaw. Mm-hmm. Benucci. Mm-hmm. Maguire. Yes, sir. Virginia. Mm-hmm. John Stones. Yes, sir. Insigne. Yep. Kyle Walker. Yep. Harry Kane. Mm-hmm. Stealing my players now. Uh, Declan oh, Rice. Declan Rice did start, my boy. Raheem Sterling. Yes. Um, Locatelli, uh, he been mentioned? Uh, Locatelli did not start that game. He didn't? Oh, wow. Um, Joe Mobile. 30 seconds. Switching Di Lorenzo. Di Lorenzo did start. Oh, I thought he was injured. Oh, um... No, you're thinking about Spinazzola. Yes, I am. 25 seconds, John. Oh, I'm, I'm forgetting, forgetting the midfield for some reason. Grealish shouldn't start. Um, no. Mount. Yes. Donnarumma. Mm-hmm. Oh, just applying pressure. Benucci, Chiellini. Both of them I mentioned? Chiellini was already said. Benucci was already said. Um, Five seconds, John. Oh, damn it. And that'll do it. Brandon Jesus. takes it. Immobile? Brandon takes it. Who are you going to say, John? I was going to say Chiesa. Chiesa did start that game just too late. What about Immobile? You said Immobile. Said. Oh. Uh, John said Immobile. So here's the guys you missed. The England squad was pretty well picked through. Trippier and Kelvin Phillips, the only exceptions. Italy. Trippier started that final. Emerson, Barella, Verratti, and Chiesa, the only missing. I had Verratti and Barella on deck. Oh, I'm disappointed in losing that last round. Really disappointed. So John's still yet to win chess clock. Honestly, it's it's one one. it is makes it. The <laughs> defending champion. 
other times I've seen that show, like other on other shows, I've always thought, oh, how how do people like fold under pressure like that? It's tough uh-huh. when when you're doing it. It's tough to come up with the names off the top of your head and understanding the time and everything. <laughs> before but, before we move on, I just want to give a quick shout out to the listeners. If you guys have any any trivia topics that you want to see on the show that fit into one of our games, make sure you tweet at John and I. We we would love your we would love your input. We would love to feature some of maybe your game ideas or also just your topics. So make sure to reach out to John or I at Debart14 and at John Townsend99. That's a great show, Declan. We love to we love to hear the uh, audience's opinions on what they want to hear. So now let's move on to a couple of matches of the week, starting off with Chelsea at West Ham. And start let's start talking about Chelsea a little bit, because I know West I know West Ham have a ton to talk about in a sec. But Chelsea have been very German-like in how efficient they've been this season. They have just kept going no matter what injuries they have, no matter who's in and out of the lineup. They keep winning, keep putting dominating performances on display. And it's really showing right now that they're going to be the at least title favorites at this point. But a couple of weeks ago, they went down with a pretty big injury with Ben Chilwell, most likely out for the season with, with an anterior cruciate ligament injury. Do you guys believe that somehow only 30-year-old Marcus Alonso, because I thought he was a lot older than 30, but do you think he's the answer for the rest of the season? Or could we be seeing the Spanish army knife, Saul, get time at left wing back like he has at Atletico Madrid? I think the answer is, I think the answer is Marcus Alonso. He's shown through a number of managers that he is a very versatile player who offers a lot going forward. Um, Tuchel has obviously preferred Ben Chilwell, who has, the quali- who has more quality than him. But Alonso's not a bad, a bad second option. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him come in and play most of the games. And I think that that is Saul's path to first team football, but who knows, who knows where, what he's going to, where he's going from here. And that's basically what Thomas Tuchel said after, I can't, I can't remember what game. I think it was the game, the game um, on the weekend where he was like, I don't know where he goes from here when he was speaking about Saul. And that's your own manager saying that. So I don't think there's really another option. I, I just don't. It's it's odd because Saul, like at Athletic Madrid, he was a very well-known, well-regarded player, and still is. To, to to be honest, maybe it's just a bit of a culture shock moving to a new country, to a new team, mm-hmm. a new infrastructure. When you spend your entire career playing under Simeone at Athletic Madrid, but once he gets his, once he gets established in Chelsea in London, I definitely think Saul's going to be an amazing player for Chelsea. You know, we keep saying that, but he has been fading in this part of his career. It seems like a very, a very big lull, and he wasn't playing much by the time he moved to Chelsea, and that's why he came. So I think it's all about, you know, finding confidence, finding form, which is something that he's lacked for two years now, two, three years. Yeah, but Cream always rises to the top, and he, he's a player of quality. He has shown that in the past. So I'm I'm... I'm pretty confident that this is just going to be a, a, a lull in his career and he'll, he'll get it back eventually. Um, and looking actually at another uh, return to the lineup with Lukaku, he came off the bench last weekend against United and having him come back into the fold after they've already developed chemistry amongst the attack in Chelsea, do you think it's going to be a seamless transition 
into Lukaku? Or is there going to be a bit of tension between them? Because I would imagine Werner's going to come more out of the lineup. Maybe Havertz will come more out of the lineup. Mount's playing all right, so I'm sure he'll be uh, he'll still be featured. But Brennan, what do you what do you have to think about Lukaku? I think it'll be a pretty smooth transition. I mean, before he was injured, he was pretty much bagging goals left and right. Um, but I just think it'll go back to the normal ways. But what? Uh, and especially you have Ziyech in there too, and Pulisic coming back from injury. Their depth in attack with Hudson Adoy, who's been actually getting solid minutes for like one of the steady minutes too for the first time in his career, really. And um, it's it, their depth up front is just a sight to see. And I think uh, Lukaku is just going to go back to his old ways of scoring goals. But um, one thing when I was looking at the uh, injury reports as of last night, it said Conte and Reese James were also questionable in the game. I don't know if they'll be there come the, the game time, if they'll be doubtful or not then. But when I was looking yesterday, they were both doubtful, which does raise some concerns for Chelsea, I would assume. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would have to imagine so. And I think that the issue is really in that midfield and in that in that defense, but Lukaku scores and Lukaku scores against West Ham. And it hurts me. <laughs> it, 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 it hurts me deeply, but um, I would imagine that at least for this game, it will be Kai Havertz that starts alongside him. There won't be as much space for uh, for Timo Werner to get in behind this West Ham, this West Ham team that likes to play a low block and the aerial presence of Kai Havertz, his movement will, Will I think give them some options and Lukaku is Lukaku. He's gonna score. Like I don't know what the odds are gonna be, but put a freaking bet on, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's gonna score. And I think that the issue will be in finding midfield options that replace a Conte for this squad. Whether that is a Jorginho, if you want to change it up a little bit, um, a Kovacic, or even a Saul, um, which we've talked about a little bit, who can go in and play in that midfield role, and then. In defense, you know, West Ham haven't been scoring much, but Mikel Antonio will still look to, to bully some people. And whoever comes in has to watch out for the pace of Ben Rama and the skills of Ben Rama. Or if Lanzini plays, Vlasic, Yarmolenko, Bowen. So there's options, and I, I would look a little bit further back for Chelsea um, because Lukaku's going to score. Lukaku does score. That's, that's, it's, it's just inevitable. The three things that are assured in life, death, taxes, and Lukaku scoring. Except when he plays for United, then it's a little iffy. Um, but going, that's actually a good transition to uh, talking about West Ham now, as Lukaku could be taking advantage of this beaten up West Ham uh, backline with the centre backs. You, we, you, I remember talking about Ogbonna last show about his importance to the backline, and Zuma has played well since the transfer. But who else is going to be stepping up for West Ham and? Is it even a conversation amongst fans of the potential of moving Declan Rice back there to play centre-back alongside Zuma at, to fill the hole for the time being? There's no other options in midfield, so I don't, think, I don't think that's the answer. What I am worried about is Aaron Cresswell. He had a heavy collision with the post, and I haven't seen any update, so I don't know if he will be playing this weekend or not. He is a huge loss, and the goal, again, the goal in the weekend that they gave up in the 89th minute um, to Neil Morpai was directly um, Arthur Masuaku's fault. He didn't close down on the cross quick enough. And so I don't know if he's really an option if 
if David Moyes, who against the top six or against the top three teams at least, have looked to play with to play with five at the back. Um, so I think that that's that's the real question mark there in on West Ham's left side of defense. Um, I'd like to see Issa Diop get some minutes. He's been really good in the Europa League. Uh, and I'm not convinced about Craig Dawson. Uh, we've had this conversation a number of times. He is slow. He is old. He is not a ball-playing defender. And, you know, part of that is how are we going to play against Chelsea? And I think that if it's we're going to look to take advantage on our set-piece opportunities, then I think that that, then that will be important. But, um, yeah, I'm... I'm a little bit worried about this back line. But looking forward at, uh, at, at the attack, Lanzini has been playing phenomenally well, but I think me along with you are confused why he's still on the bench after performing well in, in, in his time. Can you see him fitting into that starting lineup? And, and particularly, who would he be replacing? Would it be a Pablo Fornals or would it be a, a Saeed Benrama, who both of them performed very well at the start of the season, but just kind of have fallen off as of late? Um, yeah, I, I, I think that Lanzini needs to come back into this team. He offers, he offers a, a different option. Um, just before I delve into that, David Moyes said uh, yesterday morning that Aaron Cresswell is a doubt against Chelsea. Yeah, that's- yeah. So that is that's a that's a huge loss if back injury he's, if he's not if he's not in that back line and really worries me. But um, it would be Saeed Ben Rama who I think makes way. He hasn't scored since September. Um, of of Lanzini, seven seven appearances off the bench. Uh, five of them have been at the expense of Saeed Ben Rama, who has been slow. Lanzini obviously scored that absolute screamer against uh, against Manchester City. And I think that Lanzini offers a different option. Ben Rama is a more traditional winger where he looks to take on his man and beat him a few times where Lanzini's a little bit more of a central option. So I think if West Ham choose to play through the center and they go with a Pablo Fornals, who is, I would argue, outside of Rice, Suchek, and, and Ogbonna, the, the most important player on this West Ham team, he is the metronome uh, linking offense to defense and a player who really dictates how this West Ham team plays. He's the heart and soul of this team, the little Paella man. Um, and so I think that bringing in Lanzini would bring a different option. There's no one who really offers anything from outside the box, though. Lanzini is that guy who can strike it from range, as we saw against Chelsea. And while it forces a change in West Ham, I don't know if that's a bad thing, especially given um, we've talked about how, how Angolo Conte might not be um, in the squad and without him, I'm not, I'm not really sure how Chelsea's defense lineup or Chelsea's midfield lineup, rather where the cover comes from, especially if they choose to go with a Jorginho in a deeper role. So I think that Lanzini poses some options and, you know, he's, I think he's back to his 2015 self. We haven't seen him in a while. He tore his um, ACL at the 2018 world cup and hasn't looked the same since. And so I think that he needs some solid game time. And while Chelsea's a big test, I think he he's earned it. I really think he has. Hmm. Particularly without without content in the middle of the park, as you pointed out, this is a perfect opportunity to give Lanzini that game time. But who would be coming out of the starting lineup? Because I would imagine Bowen's still starting on the right. Bowen has been really, really solid for West Ham uh, this season. But would it be Fornals out on the left or would it be uh, Ben Rama out on, out on the left with Lanzini centrally? 
I would assume it would be, I would assume it would be Fornells out on the left and no Ben Rama. Um, against Brighton, Fornells did play on the right-hand side, and I don't like him on that right-hand side. His right, his right foot is, the, is, is his stronger foot. And while I think that West Ham got pretty unlucky in that game, you know, they, they had the Pablo Fornells strike that canned off the underside of the bar and, and went out the bullshit goal that called back, got called back. And then, you know, Neil Morpie scores a freaking bicycle kick. He is like Jamie Vardy levels of shithousery, that man. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that starting Lanzini centrally, but also playing him a little bit deeper. Um, is the app is is the option and I, I really think that West Ham should just go at Chelsea um, in this game not be afraid um, and playing him centrally is is the goal here to really drive West Ham's offense forward and looking forward at the attack now with Mikel Antonio he started off the season tremendously well but picked up an injury and when he when he got back into the squad he hasn't been as prolific as he once was how do you think David Moyes is going to find the answer to get Mikel Antonio back to that prolific form since he hasn't scored since uh, uh, the 1-0 win against Spurs back in October West Ham's offense has really has really faltered and I think I picked up a on that a little bit when talking about Lanzini, they, they lack a spark. They lack a certain dynamism. And it's not that they're not generating chances. West Ham have the best big chance cre- creation number of, of the teams outside the, t- the top, the top um, outside of the top three. They, they've scored 15 of their top chances, but they've missed almost an equal amount in, in 13 and that largely falls at the foot of Antonio and Bowen who have missed four, four chances each. So it's, it's, it's a struggle and Antonio has played a lot. And I think the problem is that there's no cover for him. Um, he's played more than triple the amount of minutes at this point in the season for club and country than he did last season. Obviously last season, he wasn't playing for Jamaica. Um, this season he is. And those trips to CONCACAF are long and, you know, as CONCACAF fans ourselves, I'm sure we can we can speak about how grueling it really is, Brandon. Uh, Brandon, that that trip to the other side of the world, the games that you have to play in some of the loudest, hottest, stinkiest stadiums that that the North American continent has to offer, and then you fly back and you have to play in the Premier League, whether that be on a first class jet or or anything. It's it's taxing. So I think that Antonio needs some rest. This isn't the game where he gets it, but they need to find a way to give him some rest. Sonny Perkins looked really, really good um, in the appearance in the brief appearance he made um, in the Europa League. I don't expect Mikel Antonio to play West Ham's final uh, Europa League game against Dinamo Zagreb. As I've already mentioned, we've clinched our way to the top of that group, um, and then there's there should be a break in between. Yeah, um, just uh, talk on Antonio and um, CONCACAF. Yeah, like CONCACAF is like a physically grueling like group of football. Like you're, you're going, if you're not, and if you're not playing against Mexico, Jamaica, or Canada, you're playing against uh, a country. And when you play, it's just a physical battle. It's just, it's, there's, there's not much skill or, or technique or, like tactics involved with these lower nations. It's, I don't want to sound mean, but it's just like shithousery. And like, it, so it's a lot, it's a different game compared to the, the European game. And you see like a lot of men's national team players, like when they come here and for example, they play on Dora's 
they don't look like themselves because they're not playing their European brand of football, you know? And um, so it's definitely hard to adjust to the two different game types, you know? And, and you mentioned that it's also long trips. It's longer trips than most, than most need to make. Yeah. Um, I heard that the West Ham president had to like get a private jet for Antonio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He paid an, a million dollar expense to get Antonio back um, ahead of, I'm not quite sure what game from Jamaica. And you might think that, you know, vacations to Jamaica are nice, but uh, the miles add up, the miles add up on your body and getting Antonio scoring again is really crucial to the success of West Ham. He has seven goals on the season. He hasn't scored since October. So, so I think that that's important to say at one point he was tied for the golden boot lead. Um in the Premier League and has just fallen off a cliff. West Ham need to really need to figure this out. And David Moyes has started to mention how how frustrating this is. And it's not that we haven't had chances. As I, as I already mentioned, there was at least four in that Brighton game to put us ahead, including one that went in the back of the net that was called off after like four minutes of VAR, which shouldn't be a thing. That that's my other that's my other argument that VAR needs a time cap. If you can't figure out something in forty five seconds, we need to move on. That, that the call on the field should stand. And I know the call on the field was that it wasn't a goal, but it needs to move on after 45 seconds. It just kills momentum of the game. If you stop for that long, if you're just standing still for that long, you lose all momentum of, of whatever is building. And VAR is supposed to be about clear and obvious errors, isn't it? So yeah. either give the referee some agency, be like, I'm not sure about this. It could go either way. Go have a look at it. Or... Be like, no, there's nothing to see here. Your call on the field's your your call on the field is good. But standing around for four minutes, it deflated West Ham, and you could you could see that. You could really see that. And Brighton came into that game more and more um, after that VAR decision, ultimately culminating with um, with the Neil Morpai bicycle kick. Because of course, Neil Morpai scored a bicycle kick. Neil Morpai is just I've quickly becoming like the most le- <laughs> the most disliked player on the show. <laughs> But let's move on to Fantasy Corner, where I assure you Neil, Neil Mopai is not a one to watch for the targets. But Declan, can you please let the audience know and let me know as well, because my fantasy team is still in shambles, who we should be looking at come this weekend? I think that a lot of rejigging along the back line is what people have been doing, especially with, as you mentioned, uh, Brandon, the possible injury to um, Reese James that a lot of people are looking to get in an option for him to cover up a lot of cheap options. And that's what I've presented you with. You're right, John, no Neil Morpai, but his teammate Tyreek Lamptey makes fantasy corner this week. 4.4 million for the young wing back. The kid's been tearing it up since he's come back. He's got a little baby face, but he puts up big man numbers. Four, eight, and six points in his last three games. He was so crucial to how Graham Potter's side attacks. He was really good against West Ham. Um, one of my favorite players in the league that don't play for from that doesn't play for West Ham. So get him into your squad. He's a cheap option, and I only imagine that price going up. Um, the other one, Tino Livermento at Southampton. That team is an absolute shambles, but Livermento has shown the bits this season. Um, he's shown some flashes in his previous games, and I think he's worth a punt at 4.5 million. And then your friend and mine, Brandon, Aaron Ramsdale makes the list. A lot of people looking for a goalkeeper, a mid-range option at 4.9 million. Arsenal have a good run of good run of form. Good, eh. Arsenal have a good run of games coming up, and they seem to be really be building on that. 
um, largely avoid the the top three teams, largely avoid United in the in the next little bit, obviously because they just played them. So if you're in need of a goalkeeper, I'd turn to Aaron Ramsdale. All great, uh, all great advice. I will say, looking at a Southampton defender is a bit risky this season. However, Livermento has performed. Taking stepping aside from fantasy, he has looked very good this season so far with a poor Southampton uh, units. And we haven't really talked about Southampton. I'm sure that's something that we'll get into um, in future weeks. But that squad just looks shambolic. And Livermento looks like the only good option. I really think that, and this is just chucking a grenade and running away. But uh, I really think that uh, Hassan Hoodle needs to move on. I, th- I think, that, I think that, 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 that that relationship is done. But uh, we'll, have to have, we'll have to have someone on the pod to, to do a full deep dive on, mm. on Southampton in the coming weeks. Definitely looking forward to that. But now let's move on to stoppage time. We're going to be quickly running through all the games this weekend, giving our predictions on which teams you'll think will win or if the match is going to end up in a draw. So, Brennan, are you ready to go first? Yeah. Let me just get the timer out. Okay. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Three, two, one. Chelsea at West Ham. Chelsea. Burnley and Newcastle. Draw. Liverpool at, at Wolves. Liverpool. Brighton at Southampton. Draw. City at Watford. City. Brentford at Leeds. Brentford. Crystal Palace at Manchester United. Manchester United. Norwich at Tottenham. Tottenham. Leicester at Aston Villa. Aston Villa. Arsenal and Everton. Arsenal. And well done. Now, Declan, are you ready? Yep. Uh, three, two, one. Chelsea at West Ham. Chelsea. Going against your own boys. Right. Burnley had Newcastle. Draw. Liverpool at Wolves. Liverpool. Brighton at Southampton. Brighton. Man City at Watford. The Citizens. Brentford at, Le- Brentford at Leeds. Leeds. City at, uh, oh, excuse me, Crystal Palace at United. United. Norwich City at Spurs. Spurs, though I hope Norwich do something. Leicester City at Aston Villa. Leicester. Arsenal at Everton. Arsenal. Ready to go? Yep. Chelsea West Ham. Chelsea. Burnley Newcastle. Burnley. Liverpool. Wolves. Liverpool. Brighton, Southampton. Brighton. Manchester City at Watford. Sally Gunn with City. Brentford at Leeds. Draw. Palace at Manchester United. United. Norwich Spurs. Spurs. Leicester, Leicester Villa. Uh, Villa. And Arsenal at Everton. Arsenal. Nice. And that's going to do it for the show. Thank you so much, Brennan, for coming on the show this week. Would you like to take a moment and plug your, whatever social medias you have and let the audience know where to find you? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, as always. Love coming on the show. And um, Twitter is um, capital B, capital M, C, lowercase c, C-A-F-F-R-A-Y 13. And uh, my Instagrams, you can follow me at Brennan underscore McCaffrey underscore 13. 
Brennan, I really think you need to change your name on your yeah. social medias to better at John, better than John at Chess Clock. <laughs> wow. I should just change it though. It is kind of confusing. Well, I mean, Brennan, we do have a new, a new opening for position as co-host on the show. If you'd like oh. to apply. <laughs> <laughs> and Declan, would you like to let the audience know where to find you? Yeah, for the remaining time I have left on this show before John kicks me off, you can find me at Depart14 on Twitter. And you can find me at John Townsend 99 Send your resumes over there as well. Now, that's going to do it for the show. Keep, you, keep your eye on the Mastermind Side podcast feed for the review show after this weekend's games. We'll be back here next Thursday to preview Stephen Jarrett's return to Anfield and all the other big games next weekend. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating as it really helps grow the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.